And this morning's reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from us, from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. It's good to join you this morning in worship of our Lord. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online, uh, we're glad that you could join us to worship the Lord today. We're here in chapter 16 of Mark. What a journey it has been for us. Thank you for being patient uh, with me as we work through this book. And today's title is The Hope of Resurrection, as you will see. But you also see the question mark at the end of the title, The Hope of Resurrection. And the reason why I do that is on purpose, because of this. Because as Pastor John Baber talked about last week, we're all suffering right now. COVID has definitely been an equalizer in many ways where there's no way that none of us are not immune to this deadly disease. Many of us have lost something in the process. Close loved ones, perhaps. Some relationships, for sure, as we're isolated. Time and energy that went in on fighting this disease. Not only so, just turn to the news today, and we have read about the death of 13 servicemen and many Afghans in the heartbreaking fallout in Afghanistan. The devastation in Haiti, as we see them dealing with another earthquake. The wildfires in California that seems to raise on the flesh flood in Tennessee, as well as the coming hurricane in Louisiana. Constant bickering, the fighting in our politics, the racial reckoning, the racial fallouts, hate crimes that are happening over and over again. Not to mention, personally, I've talked to at least two people this week about their parents passing away unexpectedly due to COVID, and due to different reasons. And if you're a child here, you know that some of the schools started and shut down already. Some children are dealing with emotional trauma that comes with being quarantined again and again, and perhaps you are wrestling, eating by yourself at your desk because we cannot eat with one another. Some things that were taken for granted. Many teenagers express feeling isolated, being suffocated, not having connections. Many of us have struggled in our spiritual walk, not being able to gather to worship. We're all wrestling 
in some way or not. And we saw in chapter 15, Pastor John talked about, but Jesus is a greater Westbrook, right? He's a greater uh, Savior who suffers on the cross, who knows what we're going through, who experienced the suffering on the cross for us. And we're all waiting for chapter 16. It can surely end with just suffering, right? We have to have something to look forward to. And yes, we do get to chapter 16 today. And we see and we read in chapter 16 that Christ is alive. The tomb is empty. But the question is, now what? Yes, there is resurrection. But doesn't that supposed to mean that things should be better today? Right? Didn't Jesus overcome death? And sickness? Why are we still suffering today? Where is my hope? Not only for the original audience that were facing persecution and they look forward to resurrection, then shouldn't they be receiving hope that, that says it will get better? But why is not? Are things not getting better today? If Jesus is risen from the dead, shouldn't our situation be a lot easier for us? Isn't that what we normally expect? things to get better because he has overcome? So what is this all about? Why isn't our world getting better today? Why isn't our situation getting better and worse? And as we close out the gospel according to Mark, the question that lingers in our hearts is, what is this hope of resurrection that you and I are supposed to grasp as we look forward to life after? That's why the title of the message is The Hope of the Resurrection. And we love to see two things that highlight the hope that we find here. First hope we find is the hope of the resurrection of the past. Hope of the resurrection of the past. Our hope lies in this event because chapter 16 is a real event. Let me repeat that one more time. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Chapter 16 is not a made-up story. It is a real event. Before we get to chapter 16, what comes before is chapter 15, right? And chapter 15, verse 44 for 47 reminds us that Jesus truly died. He truly died, church. It says in verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Christ has already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, remember the dead is emphasized three different times already, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary of the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Notice what happens in chapter 15 in the account of Mark's account of death of Christ, we see a significant length that he goes to remind us that he is truly dead. First, we see Pilate, a legal authority that oversees the matter, declaring that he is dead three different times. Second, the centurion, who had been expert at the time, who have seen this again and again, because he'll be an expert who have seen the death of criminals upon the cross again and again. So he surely knows when someone's dead or not. He declares that he is dead Third, Joseph the Arimathea is named here as another witness, as an act, almost as a mortician, who takes the body, who wraps the dead body, and places in the tomb. Finally, there are, two, there are women here, 
in verse 47. Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of Joseph, is close friends of Jesus who serves as a witness of the dead body. In another word, church, a legal authority informed by an expert who pronounced death, funeral arranged by the mortician of sorts, with friends and family witness and watching it all, body laid in the tomb. This is as descriptive as it gets, let alone a step's outline to confirm the death is actually very similar to what we do today. Don't we not? Legal declaration of death, witness in the hospital and the legal system. So what it means is, in order for the resurrection of Christ in chapter 16 to be a true story, not a made-up story, chapter 15 has to be a true story too. Here is God, man, church, who is sent, who has walked on earth, who talked, who lived, but he also died. He certainly died on the cross, crying out, Ilo, Ilo, Laba Samachthani. And he said, It is completed. And he gave up his breath and he died. And why is it so important for us that Christ died on the cross? Again, because we have seen through our Gospel of Mark the penalty of sin has to be death. And you and I, because we're fallen in sin, deserve to die on the cross, deserve to pay the penalty of our sins. But Scripture reminds us someone else took that place on the cross for us, and Christ has. Therefore, his death means everything to us. We die with him on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven. And that's our hope that we could have and hold on to this morning, that this event actually happened, that he died. And he not only died on the cross, in chapter 16, Christ truly rose again. Again, as we read in verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary of mother of James, who is also mother of Joseph, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from us, uh, for us from the entrance of the tomb? Mark goes in length to give again the names again, as if to say, Remember these guys that saw the witness and watched Christ die? They're here again. Remember, this is a short gospel, only 16 chapters. So, so when Mark is trying to get his point across and repeat the names again, it's almost like saying that, hey, these people are real. New Testament theologian Richard Bauckham states that this is another way that Mark uses to cite his sources, almost like a footnote, to say, hey, actually, these people are living. Go talk to them. This actually happened. Let me tell you their names again so you know where they are. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Salome, go talk to them. It actually happened. In verse 5, it says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. In the midst of their distress, this young man, who we know as an angel, ministers to this woman. And throughout the scripture, and if you're a careful reader of the scripture, you'll notice this too. Angels just don't appear randomly. When they appear, they play a significant role in the significant moments in the redemptive history, as we say, 
They appear in the Garden of Eden. They appear with patriarchs in the Old Testament in the giving of the covenant. They appear at the birth of Christ. They appear at the temptation of Christ. And they appear in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus prays, saying, not my will, but your will be done. Here is another significant moment. Angel of the Lord comforts, instructs the woman of the next steps. And again, the question is, why is it so important that he rose again? Why is it so important that Christ rose again? Because what we see is, here is not a mere man, mortal man who died and who makes up a story about the future. Our faith in Christ is not in a mere man-made-up story. What we see here is a supernatural resurrection story. It is not a story of a stolen body. It is not a story of finding a wrong tomb and thinking, wait, I'm at a wrong spot. It is not a story of mistaken identity or any other heresies that try to explain away this phenomenon. What Mark is trying and going at length to tell us Today, again, is to say this actually happened. This is Christ who walked on this earth, God-man who promised that he will rise again. And here is God-man who rose again. Church, who can rise from the dead? Can you rise from the dead? Only Christ can rise from the dead. Church, who can defeat death once and for all? Only Christ can do that. Surely not mere mortal men, only God of the universe who has power to overcome death can rise from the dead. And that means what Jesus said about himself is true. He is the fact, the son of the living God. He is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He is going to return. He is going to be victorious. He is our savior. What he declares about himself is true. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? He says he, we have to have a resurrection to have hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify of our God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if Christ rose again from the dead, that means he's not done with us. He is at work in our lives, and he is going to be victorious in the end. The gospel does not end with Mark chapter 16, but Acts is coming. The church is coming. Revelation is coming. Do you believe that church? Do you hold on to this promise of the scripture? Do you live in light of that hope of the resurrection of the past? Children, I know that many of you started school, and praise the Lord, my child is back at school too. And uh, we were praying that he will stay in school, right? And on the second day, we didn't want to ask him the first day. The second day, I asked him, hey, what is your favorite subject at school? And he said, proudly, Daddy, I like lunch and recess. I'm like, all right. 
ah, praise the Lord. I know he's young. He's going to enjoy that. I enjoy that too. You know, and the second day I asked him, hey, son, what is your favorite subject? And he said, dismissal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually, dismissal is my favorite subject too. You know why? Because I get to go pick him up, you know. And because uh, he's a walker, we go to very, a school very close to us. And, uh, you know, he knows I'm coming. And as I walk closer and closer to school, he waits in anticipation. He jumps up and down, and I get really excited too. And he knows I'm coming. He knows I'm coming. He knows that no one else is coming, but he knows I'm coming. You know why? Because I'm his daddy. Because I told him so. And I said, I will be back at this time. Wait for me. Children of God. Children of God. Church. This is the promise we find in Jesus' resurrection. Doesn't, doesn't he say this? Do you not read the scriptures? Doesn't he promise us that he will be back? Doesn't he say, I have overcome? Doesn't he say the church will be victorious? Doesn't he say the world is not the end, but the eternity is the end? Do you not know this? Do you not live in light of this truth? Do you not hope in light of this truth? Do you believe in this promise? Our God who loves us, who cares for you, to send his son to die on the cross and to rise again. And the one who says, I have prepared a place for you in heaven. The one who says, in your sufferings, I am there. The one who says, the governments, the kings are under my authority. The one who says, I will be back and every knee shall bow at the foot of the cross. The one who says, I am the life. The one who says, I will overcome. The one who says, he is the way, the truth. The one who says, he is the Alpha and also Omega. Church, do you believe this? Our hope is that he isn't done yet. If he can rise again from our sins, he's going to do the work. The one who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. And that's the hope of the resurrection past. Church, but the hope that we find is not only in the resurrection of the past, but the hope of the resurrection of the future. The resurrection of past gives us hope that's grounded, but it also gives us hope for the resurrection future. I think you probably all caught this, but Mark 16, the end of Mark, ends with not really a promising hope, right? So one of those Gospels, you're like, wait, that's it? Like, like, like what's more, right? I'm used to Matthew, John, you know, Luke, where there's like a lot more happening here. And some of you may say, well, 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 we didn't read verses 9 to 20 that talks about Jesus appearing and all the Great Commission and all that stuff. But well, um, you also notice in your Bibles, there's some line or some of you, unless you have a uh, KJV version, some of you, your Bibles, that will say some of the Bible manuscript, earliest manuscripts do not contain verses 9 through 20. So if you look at early church fathers like Clement of Alexandria, Eusebius, Origen, Jerome, in his Latin translation of the Bible, and some of you may be like, what are you talking about? You don't need to know that, but just to give you, to tell you that these are the early church fathers, right? The, the testimonies of the early church fathers show that um, in their significant piece of work, uh, they're unaware of verse 9 
through 20. That means that we could safely assume the earliest manuscripts, the Gospel of Mark in its original intent, uh, must have, we could safely assume that it ends at verse 8. And as you read Gospel of Mark 16, 8 like that, you realize it's not a fairy tale ending, right? This is gigantic failure, actually, if you read it carefully. There's not a great commission that happens here. There's no disciples to be found here. You notice that? Chapter 16 has no mention of disciples, right? Besides, go tell them, because they're not here, right? We get that in the other Gospels. Women do well. They come. But in verse 8, they also don't say anything. Do you notice that? It ends by saying they're terrified, and they don't tell anybody. So why is the Gospel of Mark ending his testimony like this? Right? Especially given Christians who are suffering in Rome, they're receiving this. Can you imagine? Ending of the story. No one said anything to anybody. Go in peace. Well, oh, I'm suffering like I need more than this, you know? Tell me something else. Well, it seems strange, but if you follow, if you have been following Mark, you realize what he's doing is on purpose. And you get why he's doing this. You saw that throughout Gospel Mark, Mark's highlighting the failures of disciples in light of the glory of Christ that overcomes even the struggles of the disciples. We see time and time again the followers fail. Even at the greatest moments, they're all ready to rise and they fail again and again. But it's not just about story of failures. What Mark highlights is grace of the Lord despite the sins and the failures, even unbelief and doubts. And despite the failures of the first witness, what we see is the hope of resurrection continues. You and I are a testimony of that. Do you know that? What we see is the resurrection hope continues despite our unbelief. Notice in verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Did you notice what he says? This woman that came to the tomb weren't expecting resurrection at all. Right? It was a surprise. They were thinking, okay, who's going to roll this stone away because it's really heavy? But we got this expensive spices. They bought spices to anoint the dead bodies, thinking Christ is dead, He's going to be stayed dead, so let's anoint this body so that we would um, slow the decaying process and eliminate the order and whatnot. So when they go to the room, they're basically saying, who did this? Hey, who's rolling the stone away? They weren't expecting a resurrected Savior. And furthermore, at least this woman did better than the, the men here. They're at least present in this place, but where are the disciples? They're not there. Granted, they were not there at the scene of the, his death. They were not even at the tomb. And you know, they shouldn't be surprised that Christ rose. After all, Jesus kept telling them, right? It's like, I will rise on the third day. Can you be a little bit more clear than that? Yes. I will rise on the third day. Count. One, two, three. Throughout the gospel, he said it again in Mark 8. Said it again in Mark 9. Said it again in Mark 10. As if they don't understand, they said, let me tell you three different times. I will rise again on the third day. Wait. Jesus kept repeating, reminding, teaching, I will be back. Right? But nobody, not even his closest friends, even those who watch Christ die on the cross, fulfilling at least the first part of his promise, did not expect resurrection. 
And we get it. Resurrection was impossible for the disciples to believe in the culture where in the Greeks, they didn't believe in the, the afterlife because they really realized the revelation of the soul from the body. They didn't believe in resurrection at all. In the Jewish worldview, they believe in some kind of future resurrection, but no concept of individual resurrection. But notice, they were taught otherwise, against this culture, saying he will rise again. But there was a wide unbelief with the first disciples. Wide unbelief. But get this, the resurrection hope continued on despite even the closest who did not believe or expect it. Not only so, this resurrection hope continues despite our fear. Verse 5, and entering the room, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in the right robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth? You're in the right place, he says to them. Who was crucified. Remember that? Remember this too. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, and he tells them, go! Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going to before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Okay, remember that? He told you this, right? I'm not making this up. He told you this. And guess what he says in verse 8? What you and I should be expecting is they went celebrating, worshiping, telling everyone about it. But verse 8 says, and they went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling astonishment has seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Church, the resurrection hope continued on despite this fear. The angel specifically said, don't be alarmed. Do not fear. Verse 8 said they were seized with fear. They told them to go tell, but they did the exact opposite and told no one. Imagine if they went out and told everyone in the marketplace in the morning. Just like the healed leper in Mark 1.45 who went and told anyone and everything, everyone possible about what happened to him. Just like the deaf and mute man in Mark 7, who went out and told everyone there is to know about what happened to him. But church, this is how Gospel of Mark ends today. Especially as you see in your Bibles, verse 9 and 20 is not part of the earlier manuscripts. There is no one, it says, the woman told. Eventually, they do tell the disciples. But the mark is highlighting this. Again, disciples' failures and fear. Followers, our flaw and failures, that's expected. Do you notice? Do you notice this? Isn't that amazing? I'm overwhelmed by this, church. Not only does he does this impossible work of resurrection, but he even expects your failure. He even anticipates your unbelief. He knows your doubts. He senses your fear. Our God knows you like this, deep down inside. And you know what? The resurrection hope doesn't lie with how well the woman told the others, how well the disciples take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The hope of the gospel, this resurrection hope, is not dependent upon us at all. It is not dependent on how well you believe how much you give, how much you sacrifice. It's not on how family is doing in light of this, what programs we're running as a church, we don't run as a church, how we order our lives. It's not on how strong our church is even. 
and what we get right and what we get wrong, it's not on how strong our nation is because we are quote-unquote Christian nation. It's not about this great disciples who give up their lives for Christ. It's not about this great woman who testified to this, although much better than the men that are sitting there. But the ultimate hope comes from the fact that God did this. Not that we did it. Not that our church has done it. God's got this. God testifies to the glory of the cross. And God is going to carry this out. God's going to chase after the sinners. And God is going to save them. Church, do you know that God's got theology? Because theology is the study of God. So he's got it. Because he's, that's about him. Right? That's the definition. He will make sure that he will make himself known. The rocks will cry out, he says, if we don't. And despite our failed attempt at times and our struggles, get this, the gospel witness has continued on over 2,000 years. Despite the threats of heresy, despite the threats against the physical body, despite upon governments, oppression, persecution, the gospel hope raids, marches on. Because it is about who and whom God is reaching. Please do not hear that we're not saying we're not supposed to guard the pulpit or the scripture or the witness of the gospel. We have to do it. That's our call, of course. But it's a response to what God is already doing. And God chose to work through a broken church. God chose to work through broken people. And that's the glory that we ought to celebrate this morning and the hope we ought to celebrate. The resurrection of hope comes to this disciples' church, to the unbelieving, fearful, doubtful disciples and women. And as this hope comes, Jesus does not leave this fearful, doubtful disciples behind on their own. He shows up, becomes not only a personal story as Jesus sits with them, appears to them, shows them the scars, has them put their fingers through the scars, eats with them, teaches them, and eventually they become witnesses to this God-man, resurrected Savior, going back to heaven. And what happens after this amazing work of the gospel, resurrection hope that goes to them? Explosion of the gospel. These disciples who were once afraid, doubtful, nowhere to be found, become gospel forerunners, willing to lay down their lives, testify to the resurrection of the Savior, and continual work in the progress until Christ took them home. And this is what they write in John 11, 25, 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives, believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? John, the apostle who are experienced the gospel grace, is posing this question to us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him with him those who have fallen Asleep, Apostle Paul experienced God on the road to Damascus, declared this to us. All point to the truth of the resurrection means that we have hope of eternity. That we can also rise again. That we live for life that is beyond this world, beyond ourselves. The question that you and I wrestle this morning is, do you truly believe in this story? As John says, do you believe this? Church, do you believe this? that the hope of eternity is coming despite our failures and struggles. And let's be honest about it. Beside, this, despite our struggles as a church, the witness that's tainted often and on 
God is still victorious. He will bring about his completion. Do you believe this? That he is, in fact, the light of the world. He will carry on his mission, the resurrection hope of the gospel. Esther Lee is a mother of Ava Bright Lee. Um, I gotten to, I haven't really gotten to know her personally, but I knew of her as an older sister in the church that I attended in college. After she left the college church, she got married and had a child named Ava Bright Lee. Ava Bright Lee was diagnosed with biophenophic uh, leukemia at the tender age of five. I think I, I think I did not read that correctly, but the healthcare professionals know this. Um, and with chemotherapy and radiation and transplant, she beat the cancer. Praise the Lord. But then she relapsed with leukemia, um, cutis or cutis. And after battling three years, and her mother chronicles the journey. Through ups and downs of the life, she wrote a blog, Facebook posts, invited many of us in a journey of questions and doubts along the way. After battling three years, and many of you will know this is not easy, and some of us, and our church knows this really well, to bury your child is, is one of the most difficult things. But Ava Brightly passed away on January 1st, 2017, as the world was welcoming the new year this family, God-fearing family, lost their daughter, sent her to heaven. There are things she writes that really minister to my heart, and I want to share some of them with you this morning. Entry titled January 1st, 2017, she writes, At 12.01 this morning, while everyone ushered in the new year, Eva was ushered into heaven. Perhaps it happened this way so that the fireworks could drown out the bitter sounds of our grieving as the Lord swept her up in our arms. She held on until all our family members arrived to tell her how much they loved her. Mike and I held her between us until her heart stopped. Gwen, her sister, was there to say goodbye, wept and wept, and losing her very best friend forever. We were left behind with hearts that would never be whole again until we join her in heaven. It has only been six hours already. It feels like eternity apart. We love you, Ava Bright Lee. And years later, she writes, Yesterday was International Bereaved Mother's Day for the precious few who would give up a thousand good days for just one day to hold their child close again. And she writes, so thank you, God, for this pain as we only could experience the comfort of Jesus when we have total and utter need for it. So thank you for this pain. Thank you for uncertainty. Thank you for chaos. Thank you for brokenness. Thank you for loss. Not because these things are good, but because you are good despite of them and because they bring us back to where we belong, into your embrace. Another entry writes, Ava's life wasn't just about cancer. Her life was a love story. Her story wasn't tragic. 
Because to love, to be changed, to experience humanity at its very best is never a waste. Though the chapters were short, the theme remained constant. To love and to be loved is what matters most. She knew how to love. And wow, was she loved in return. And the final entry, a poem she writes. You have changed our lives. You have changed the world. Until we meet again, my love, we have died to our past. We live in his presence. We hope for the future, all because he, Christ, lives. So now we can too. Church, I believe we are living in the light of these testimonies, not just of Ava Bright Lee, but the many that have gone before us, who stood firmly in the resurrection hope that is to come despite the threats that posed in their lives. The testimonies of Afghan believers who seek our prayers in light of the coming persecution and martyrdom. We're living in light of many grieving loss of life, loss of relationships, loss, period. But we also hear this losses, grief, and sufferings within our own body here at Christ Central today. With its season, in the midst of our doubts and our questions, our struggles, and often in our losses, despite that, hope, hope of the coming King who came in Mark and who will come again. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 again. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Let's pray. I hope that was an encouragement for you, not from me, but from the scripture, from the Lord that says, this is the word, the promise. I am your daddy. I'll be back. Father, that's our prayer. We need our daddy more than ever before in many ways. Father, we have questions, doubts. So much is happening around us. And Lord, at times we feel so isolated. No one seems to know what we're going through. But Father, we see from the scripture time and time again, you see us in the puddle of tears. You see us in the puddle of questions and doubts. You see us and nothing is too great for you to overcome. Me with us, me with many that are suffering in our church today. And Lord, whisper these words of encouragement to us. May you, the resurrection hope, be glorified in our lives. Christ, let me pray.
Amen.